stats, stories, how you use them. T-minus three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the BizTalk Podcast. A lot of things going on today, and we're going to cover a couple of them for you. First of all, we just had a very interesting survey here with the production crew. And we have determined that it would be good if it was federally mandated that at least once a week during working hours, senators and congressmen had to get baked because it would at least make our government more entertaining. And you know what? It might take a little of the edge off all this nastiness, but it was just sort of an interesting hypothesis we were all having here. If you agree with that, let us know. Leave a comment and let us know. Should it be federally mandated? Because we know once the evening happens, when they get together with lobbyists, they drink like fish anyway. So why not make it a little bit more entertaining and take the edge off during the day? Just a thought, trying to help you. All right, what are we doing today? A couple things, very interesting stuff. We have some very interesting data on homelessness in America. A report came out at the end of December that the government shh, released over the holidays for 2023, and we have all those stats here. Some of the results will surprise you. And then we're gonna dive into a case study on Burger King. There's been some, some stories this week, and thank you for the comments. This comes out of a viewer comment about, hey, what's up with this? Are you gonna cover it? Yes, we are. We're gonna take a little dive into Burger King, go back to the beginning, talk a little bit what happened all along the way, and then we're gonna take you through the recent headline, let you know what's going up at Burger King, the home of the Whopper, where you can have it your way. All right, first, homelessness. So anyway, let's take a look at this first chart here. And I don't know if we have the, uh, the cover. Anyway, there's this report, and I'm gonna show you this, the cover report. I think it's ne next image, I think, I think, I think. Um, there it is. So every year, your government, my government, puts out in the United States, the annual homelessness assessment report, AHAR it's called, to Congress. And they put it out December of each year. Well, the 2023 report just came out. There's been a lot of headlines and we'll see pictures of something happened in this one little area of a city. And a lot of people who are sitting maybe in Indianapolis are saying, is that all of San Francisco? Is San Francisco all like that? Is Austin all like that? Is Jacksonville all like that? Is New York all like that? Or these are just little parts of the city trying to make us think everything is just absolutely horrible and crappy and, and things are going on. So this report comes out from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, also known as HUD. So HUD puts out the report and you can dive through it. So the first thing we want to do is what do we have in the news? We're having elections right now. And during these elections, there's a lot of debate that goes back and forth. You know, Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis, neither of whom are presidential candidates. And now DeSantis has officially dropped out, so he's not even a primary candidate. Neither of them are running for the presidency right now, although Gavin Newsom, wink, wink, appears to be kind of doing that. Remember, they had their debate in California this, Florida this, California this, Florida this. And then DeSantis pulls up that map of where all the poop was in San Francisco. Literally a poop map to tell you where you shouldn't be, what streets you shouldn't go down, where the city's going to be going to clean, if they even bother to do that. Anyway, <clears throat> so this comes out. And it tells you in absolute facts what the homeless situation is. And they do this once a year. 
Now, why didn't they make a big thing of it? Why didn't they really say, hey, here's the report, and why didn't get a lot of coverage on media? Because I'm going to show you why the mainstream media didn't want to talk about it, and it's pretty clear. So let's go. We've got a chart here that shows the big three states, California, Florida, Texas. Uh, Florida has more electoral votes now than New York, so these are the big three states. So we got some charts for those three, and we're going to pop them up right now and take a look. Florida, Texas, and California. And we're going to take a look. Here we go. Let's start with California. <clears throat> so here's the report on California. Again, this is 2023, a report that was made in December four weeks ago, because we're sitting here uh, toward the end of January 2024 is when we're sitting here at uh, this particular podcast. So 46 out of every 10,000 people were homeless in California. 68% of those are on the street and sleeping bags. And now we have a word from our good friends at Nextiva. You know, if you're a business owner that wants to make 2024 the best year ever, we want to help you do that. I want to help you do that. The BizDoc is always saying, I want to leave you better than I found you and help you get there. Well, one of the ways to do those is business processes. Another way to do it is with key business tools, and that is where Nextiva comes in. When I talk to entrepreneurs, I talk to my audience, I sometimes hear a consistent theme. Everybody wants better communications. And I see a couple things that sometimes make their business look a little too much like it's run by amateurs, the phone system. If you're an entrepreneur, especially one with a business that requires a lot of phone or text communication with your customers, there's a tool you should consider picking up this year, and that is my sponsor, Nextiva. With Nextiva Business Communication System, you can create phone numbers and different area codes. So if you're a real estate investor or an insurance business dialing for deals, Nextiva will help you get more answers and close more deals. You'll get unlimited calling, business texting, an auto attendant, voice analytics, and many more features that will make your business look as polished as a Fortune 500 company. They'll even take it a step further by letting you manage all conversations and engage with customers and teams with one powerful, easy-to-use app called Nextiva One. This means no more switching between a dozen different apps to get the job done. Nextiva is one of the most affordable ways I know of to grow your business in 2024. So don't let the tool you're using for communications hold you back. To find out more, go to the link on the screen to get 50% off your plan. I also have the link for you in the description for the podcast. Again, the link is trynextiva.com bizdoc. That's T-R-Y-N-E-X-T-I-V-A trynextiva.com slash bizdoc to get started today with that 50% off offer and talk to a Nextiva rep to see if it's right for you in your business. And homeless, sometimes you may be in temporary shelters, Red Cross will do that, a church may do that, a soup kitchen may do that, they may have a warehouse where you see them put up little cots to help people when it's raining, just trying to do anything to help some of the homeless population, you get it. But 68% of them in California ain't got nothing, you know, and 46 out of 10,000. And by the way, this homelessness problem is up 30% from 2007. Can you believe that? And saying that there's almost 200,000 people, 181,000 homeless in California. So now these are facts that may be candidates or governors, or politicians, or the news media that's trying to protect Gavin Newsom or do those things, don't want to talk about. 
They want to say Florida this, California that. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let's go look at the next state. Let's go pop the next one up here. Florida. Wait a minute. 14 out of every 10,000 homeless and only and 50% of them have zero shelter. Wait a minute. California was 46. This is 14. Wait a minute. That means that California's homelessness per 10,000 people is four times worse than California. These are just the stats. I'm not favoring one or the other. This is HUD, Housing and Urban Development, putting out a report that they send to Congress every year in December, and they release this and don't say much about it in December. I wonder why, because look, this doesn't fit the national narrative and mainstream media that's been you know, largely supporting Gavin Newsom. Florida's homeless problem is one-fourth statistically with California, or California's is four-time Florida, and California's had increased 30% from 07. Florida's, oh, oh, wait, down 36% from 2007. So the problem in Florida is 36% better, and it's one-fourth the statistical problem is in California. Isn't that interesting? Al Gore once wrote this book that was lecturing all of us about the environment called An Inconvenient Truth. Well, you know what? Maybe for Gavin Newsom, this is an inconvenient truth. Look at this stuff. Very interesting. Well, there's also another state that's in the mix where a lot of migration has come from California to Texas, a ton of migration. How is Texas comparing all this? Let's go take a look. Only nine out of 10,000 people were homeless and 42% have no shelter. Isn't that interesting? So 46% in California. So California, when Gavin Newsom would have arguments with uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, and before that you had governors of California that were sparring with um, Rick, the governor of Texas at that time. Well, check this out. Texas homelessness problem is down 31% since 2007. So in 15 years, Florida's homeless problem is down 36%. 15 years, Texas problem down 31%. And over 15 years, California's problem is up 30%. And it's five times worse than Texas and four times worse than Florida. Isn't that interesting? There's the truth of what bad policy and bad leadership has got you in California in terms of homelessness. Well, wait a minute, Tom. There's all these people coming from Mexico. Yeah, have you seen where they're coming from? They're coming across Eagle Pass there in Texas. Yes, they're coming across to San Diego, but San Diego has a relatively tight border there at Tijuana, San Diego. I've been through there, I've seen there. It's, it's much tighter and different than it is in Arizona and Texas. And look at this. Look at this, very interesting stuff. And the total homeless in Texas, 27,000. 180,000 of them in California. So in real numbers, it's almost nine times worse. Holy crap, that's, that's amazing. So now I just accuse California leadership of it. Let's go take a look at leadership in, across these United States. So here's a, here's a bunch of pink bars. Let's go look at the pink bar charts here about the state's and their homelessness. Here we go. We're gonna pop it up here. Interesting. The state with the worst homelessness problem is actually not a state. They wanna make it a state, but it's a District of Columbia. 65 people per 10,000 are homeless. In the shadow of the capital of this country, homelessness is 50% worse than that, than the worst other state in second place, which is 
California, interesting. Blue state, third place, Vermont, blue. Fourth place, Oregon, blue. Fifth place, Hawaii, blue. Sixth place, New York, blue. Seventh place, Washington, blue. Eighth place, Maine, blue. Ninth place, Alaska, red. The first red state doesn't come up until ninth. And then 10th, Nevada, blue. 11th, Delaware, blue. 12th, Massachusetts, blue. 13th, Arizona, red. 15th, Colorado, blue. And Arizona's homeless problem has not been helped by the unbridled um, illegal immigration that's just streaming, oh, excuse me, refugees and migrants, streaming across the border. So this is what bad leadership gets you. This is what bad leadership gets you. Where is it best in the United States? Well, guess what? Mississippi is best. Number 50 in homelessness. So Mississippi is best. South Carolina is next. Then Illinois. But I'm going to tell you something about homelessness in Illinois. The largest city in Illinois is Chicago. And it is a fact that in Chicago, it is a worse and tougher winter than New York. Uh, and I called and I asked somebody, and I said, how much tougher is the... Um, winter in Illinois. And they said that they have twice the city resources than New York. Chicago has twice the city resources in New York to help people when the winter freeze comes. Because when the winter freeze comes, people risk in Illinois of freezing to death. Because you look at the temperatures in Chicago versus in um, New York, and New York will get a break in the freezes back to 40s, whereas Chicago quite often is frozen all winter. And so if there are homelessness on the street in Chicago, when that wind is blowing off the lake and it's minus five degrees, those people will freeze to death. And so a lot of times the homeless in Chicago, they come south and they avoid it, making Illinois' homeless problem worse, but hats off credit to the resources that are in Chicago and Illinois trying to protect the people who lack shelter so they can be somewhere. Then next, Alabama, Virginia, Iowa, West Virginia, North Dakota, Indiana, Arkansas. The next blue state is Connecticut. Hats off to Connecticut in having only eight people per 10,000 homeless. And they are very, very close to what Texas has at 8.1. So there are a couple blue states in there, Illinois and Connecticut, that seem to do a good job. Why this Connecticut is up there in the best 10 and Massachusetts right next door is in the worst 15. Don't know, can't figure it out. But it's all about leadership, folks. It's all about leadership. You know, you take a look at the leadership of the state and what can you do to help the economy of your state so that people have jobs and affordable housing. Homelessness comes down to jobs and affordable housing. And yeah, I know you're going to lecture me. There's always going to be some people homeless, and those are the people that are mentally ill or have you know, chronic drug addiction or whatever it is. Yes, yes, and yes, and they need help too. And we got to figure out what we do about them as a society. But you just have to look at California and, and how it, it's five times worse than Texas, four times worse than, than Florida, and even at Illinois at seven is six, seven times worse than Illinois. It's about leadership and about what we do versus the lip service we give and a slick politician that, that goes and does interviews and talks about stuff. You know what? That's what it's all about. So this is the truth, and this is a report. You can go get this at the HUD website and 
Check it out for yourself. There's a ton of information in there that tells you about the truth of homelessness in America comes out every year. And because the blue states did so stinking bad, they snuck this thing out at December and were real quiet about it. But it's available for you and me, information from our government. This isn't from some conservative news source or some other like that. It's available. Now then, speaking of truth, there's some big headlines with Burger King about spending a billion dollar buying franchises. Wait a minute, Tom. I thought, you know, BizDoc was talking about McDonald's not too long ago and talking about how more franchises is how you grow. Why is Burger King buying up and paying a billion dollars to buy back franchises? We're going to look into it. So I'm going to grab my vault. Unlock your brain. No caffeine, no sugar. I'm going to grab my vault, and we're going to go over to Studio B to my board, and I'm going to see if I can unlock your brain with a little case study on what's going on with Burger King. All right, I found my board. Welcome to Studio B. Put my, my vault down right there. Unlock your brain. Well, now it's time to unlock your brain with the case study. There have been some headlines this week, and thank you again to whoever sent that in. I should have taken your name off there and given you a nice call out here that said, hey, man, what's going on with Burger King? You got this thing about they're paying a billion dollars for franchises. What, what are they buying more stores? What are they doing? Well, let's talk about Burger King. I talked about McDonald's um, several weeks ago, and in the trailer for this, we're going to give you the link to the McDonald's case study so you can kind of compare the two and see what's going on in fast food land. So, Burger King, by the way, that's the new logo. The logo is back. The old Burger King is back. The old blue circle, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, is gone. So it's back to the future with Burger King. So let's talk about what's going on. This is what I got the comment about, that person sent in. Burger King is buying its largest franchise for a billion dollars. What's going on? Is Burger King doing okay? Where did they get the billion dollars? Why are they buying a franchisee? Is that like one location? Nope, a franchisee opens lots of locations and they're buying a thousand locations, right? And then they're gonna resell them to smaller franchisees. So basically they're buying this one because they think it's in trouble. They're gonna spend 500 million to remodel Carol's Restaurant Group. So Carol's Restaurant Group owns a whole bunch of Burger Kings. That would have started out with one or two owners and then they bought buying them, buying them, buying them until Carol's Restaurant Group owns a thousand Burger Kings. That's a lot of Burger Kings. And Burger King's gonna say, stop, you guys aren't having the best time of it. We're gonna help you out. We're gonna buy you for a billion dollars. We're gonna put a half a billion in and then we're gonna sell them back to other franchisees. This is called a hiccup because you wanna just be putting new ones so that Today you have 13,000, you open a new one, 13,001. Right now, they're buying 1,000 of them, fixing them up. And if you've, you've probably been into some of them, you, know, you go into one, you say, you don't, by the way, you don't go to McDonald's, you don't go to Burger King, you end up there, right? It's, it, it's because there wasn't a Chipotle nearby or something like that, you know, because this fast food, we know there's a lot of sodium in it and it's not the best for you, but you know what, whatever. Anyway, let's go through it and let's talk about what happened. So. First, where it began, way back, these guys, James McLemore and David Edgerton, and they created the first Burger King, believe it or not, in Jacksonville, Florida, in 1953. 1953, it's 2023, so what is that, 70 years now? I think it's exactly 70 years coming up. More than 70 years, a little over 70 years. So these two guys, Burger King, and you can see home of the Whopper up on the sign behind them. 
you know, back then they're looking kind of styling, you know, for, for guys of that time, got his Ray-Bans on. And it was called Instant Burger King. And they had been out to McDonald's in San Bernardino and seen the McDonald's brothers operation of San Bernardino. And they came back and said, you know what? We could get this assembly line thing going and we could go even faster. So they came back to Jacksonville. San Bernardino is in California, like way over here. And then Jacksonville is right down here. And so it's as far apart in the US as you could practically get unless you were in Seattle and Miami. So they sat there and said, we can do it better and we can build it up and let's go do it. So that's where it started, 1953. So, and once again, I got this weird things going where things are showing up not on time. Ugh. It's like my, my PowerPoint's like baked, but that's okay. We'll go right through it. 1960s, they get in the 60s and they actually sold the whole thing to Pillsbury and they made a bunch of money. And then, Pillsbury, you know Pillsbury Doughboy, Pillsbury Flour and stuff? Pillsbury bought Burger King from those guys. So those guys got it up and going, got a bunch of places there, and then made bank when Pillsbury bought it from them. Then the Chart House, you heard of the Chart House, the Steakhouse Chart House? Chart House bought a franchise. And there's two guys that were inside Chart House, this is the way the story goes, that were in the restaurant business. And they said, you know, we're in the restaurant business and we're making steaks and everything, white tablecloth, chart house thing, really good place to go, date night um, with a really nice date or an anniversary or birthday, but chart house, a nice steakhouse. Those guys, they're thinking restaurant business. Well, people like steak, but if this is in our thing, restaurant, we understand food, we understand how to run a restaurant, maybe we buy one of these franchises. So they bought one in 1963 and, by, and seven years later, they had 350 of them. 350. So take a look at that. From 1963 to 1970, it's seven years. They were opening 35 a year, if you think about that. Because, um, wait a minute, no, seven and 350? They were opening 50 a year. So 50 a year, that's like one a week. These people were on a tear. So they would, that, that sounds like they would be pretty important to Pillsbury that owns Burger King, right? Well, guess what? You know, they have all those locations. They were really, really driven, and they pushed Pillsbury really hard. So hard, in fact, that Pillsbury finally got fed up with it in like 1978, 1979. Basically, Pillsbury and these guys operating the 350 were fighting, you know, about how they run the business, what they do. And Pillsbury actually sued Chart House in 1984 and said, screw it, we're going to buy all your locations for $390 million. You know what? That is just bad, you know, because Pillsbury's running Burger King. Well, I think, as I look back at it, that basically Pillsbury, they were running Burger King, but it wasn't their core business. They were making very corporate decisions. And guess what? A founder wouldn't have done it that way. And if you want to read about McDonald's, go watch the movie, The Founder. It's Hollywood's version of it, but you're going to get a sense for what Ray Kroc was all about and how he drove it. This wouldn't have happened under Ray Kroc, I don't think. Well, nonetheless, then this company called Grand Metropolitan Investors buys Pillsbury. So now they own Pillsbury. Then you get to the 1990s, and Burger King was running along, have it your way, the Whopper, competing with McDonald's. But McDonald's was far ahead. Then in 1992, the reason I mention this is because this was kind of a defining moment. In 1992, Hurricane Andrew destroyed the headquarters for Burger King that was in Miami. My, in Miami-Dade, they used to call it, uh, the area. Well, when that happened, 
<clears throat> it was time to rebuild and do things. And it was also kind of a, um, a moment there in the history of Burger King. And 1997, Grand Met, these guys that had bought Pillsbury, they merged with Guinness and they created this company, Diageo. And guess what? You continue through history into the 2000, guess what? These guys, and by the way, you know that name. If you know the alcohol and spirits industry, you know who those guys are. They said, we're only focusing on beverages and TPG and Bain and some others bought Burger King for $1.5 billion. <clears throat> then, guess what? Now that they owned it, they did an IPO under the symbol BKC, took it on the market. 2010s come along. 3G Capital of Brazil acquires the majority stake for $3.26 billion. So in something less than 10 years, the 1.5 became 3.26. That ain't bad. You know, actually, it was a little more than that when you figure out that this was only a majority stake. The value of Burger King had gone to almost $6 billion. And they take an IPO again because once they bought it, whoop, private, a couple years later, 2012 is IPO, and they're out on the market. Then in 2014, anybody that knows um, Canada knows Tim Hortons. It's a coffee shop, donut shop, up, and big chains of them up in, um, uh, you know, Canada, and it, they rebrand this merged company called Restaurant Brands International, RBI. And then they announced we're closing 250 low volume locations. So take a look at this. What does this tell you? This tells you that the history of Burger King wasn't like McDonald's. McDonald's was there. Ray Kroc, go public, go. Burger King starts over here, gets bought by Pillsbury. Pillsbury runs it very corporately, fights with some of the franchisers, sells it to this group over here. That group gets bought by Grand Met. That group then says, yeah, we'll sell it to these guys. They create Diego. Then they're like, I'm only going to focus on beer and uh, spirits or alcohol. Uh, maybe we'll take it public again. And then these other guys buy it. Then they merge it with Tim Hortons, Restaurant Brands America. That is a long, bumpy history. That's like a lady that keeps getting divorced and remarried like five times, right? That is not like a long, stable life. So what did that lead to? By the way, that's what we call a backdrop. <clears throat> that is a backdrop of corporate history and culture. So the 2000s, they had actually fallen behind Wendy's to third place in early 2020. I think 2020, I saw a report that said they were absolutely behind Wendy's in, in, in total revenue unit sales sold here in the United States. Interesting. And, but they brought back, have it your way. And I don't know if you remember this, in I think um, 22, um, it actually kind of went viral on TikTok of all places. <clears throat> have it your way with the young generation that thought it was kind of cool. Well, they certainly needed somebody to be buying those burgers. And then this had been the logo they'd had for a while. And they went back to this, which is if you see the old, old, old Burger King signs, that's what it looks like. There's still a few Burger Kings that are out there right now with this logo. The kind of circle logo was designed to look cool. They got some highlights on there, make it look shiny. But now we're back to this. So 2023, 24, Q1 of this year, 23, a 90-unit and a 115-unit franchise filed for bankruptcies. 205 units, locations, go bankrupt. In November, 
<clears throat> just a couple months ago, 172 unit franchisee files for bankruptcy. So in other words, when Burger King's not doing a good job making Burger King cool, having a good menu, you're operating the Burger King and you're at their mercy. If they have a good menu, it's tasty, with good marketing that works, guess what? Your life as a franchisee, you make bank because people are coming into Burger King. If not, it doesn't happen. So take a look. They then buy Carol's Restaurant Group, 1,000 locations. That's where the story started on page one. So basically, Burger King right now, inside of this um, RBI, is been having issues. And they're trying to make yet another comeback. And they're changing the logo. I don't know that changing a logo does much. You know, marketing people come in, first thing they do is change the logo on something. And they say, hey, it's part of a new vision. I, I've never bought that. I don't know that this versus this is gonna make me buy more burgers at Burger King. Do you have Happy Meals? Are your french fries tasty? Everybody knows that the tastiest french fries in the world are McDonald's. A thousand taste tests have come and gone, and for the last 30 years, McDonald's french fries are always number one. How about work on french fries that are tastier than McDonald's? How about work on the food? How about work on what the value pack looks like? Instead, no, we'll change the logo and we'll force all of our franchises to change the logo and go all the expense of changing everything. Not just the printing on a bag, that's easy. You print bags every month, right? You print more bags. But now you're gonna tell them to go change their sign, change things in there, and the franchisees are having to pay for it. Really, this is gonna sell more than this? I don't think so. I don't think so. But nonetheless, that's what they did. So let's go take a look. So what they're doing here, the strategy they have is they wanna take control. This is the company-owned stores they had here going back 20 years. This is 20 years here from 2003 to the end of 2022. And they've got 50 company-owned stores here and 19,000. So they had all these company-owned stores, and then what they did is they you know, sold them to franchisees. And they've been growing the locations. But you can see this bumpiness that's here. So the solution is you change your logo. So you're telling me that your growth here, you had 20 years of growth with that same logo that we just saw there. And you're telling me change into this is gonna fix this problem? No, man, it's your food, it's your menu. It's the fact that this was COVID and people couldn't go out all the time. Get it right, get the right thing right, the basic thing. Tasty food at a good price in a clean restaurant. You don't need to change the logo to have franchisees have a nice clean place that's a place you can take your kids and grab a quick burger on a Saturday. Nonetheless, now they're having franchisees filing for bankruptcy. That's your problem, see? And so now they're coming back saying, maybe we'll buy back some of these and then we'll sell them to the other franchisees and continue our growth. But this is definitely more than COVID. This is more than a COVID hiccup right there. So how is RBI doing? We'll take a look at this. This is that restaurant group that owns Burger King and Tim Hortons, and I think they own Firehouse Subs. You can check me in the comments there, but I think this, this group here, um, the restaurant group is, uh, you know, they own that. We'll take a look here. They're up 113% all time. So going back here from 2016 to here, so that's basically doubled. They've gone to 40 to just, just about 80, so okay, actually a little under 40, just about 80, okay, great. So <clears throat> over five years, that's pretty, 
pretty reasonable. It's a long, slow growth stock. There's a lot of things with COVID. We saw that, that jump down in the bar on the other side sales, but it, it's really not, as they say, it's really not blowing air up my skirt, you know, going down here. And they've had 20, 20 CEOs at Burger King, I believe in the last 35 years, check me on that, but I believe it was 35 years they've had 20 CEOs. Are you kidding me? Or maybe it was all the way back 50 years. But even that, let's just say it's 50 years. That's one new CEO every two years. It's like, that's, that's like, you know, vision, execution, leadership, that's bumpy. Well, now even the, the group that's bottom has had bumpy times, although this stock has got more in it than just Burger King. Tim Hortons is in here, and I believe Firehouse Subs. So nonetheless, it's not exactly, you know, big recovery and run back like I showed you on the McDonald's chart. So now, speaking of McDonald's, I found this. And I, this is taken from annual report information. And so, and I even went in here and replaced it with the correct logo, their new logo. Well, you can see, and then the McDonald's um, case study, we talked a little bit about the issues McDonald's was having, right? So here you've got McDonald's at 19 billion, call it 20, and Burger King at 4.975. So McDonald's four times bigger than Burger King. And you go back here, 24 and four, they were six times bigger. Well, Burger King has maintained some things relatively flat, but they've had the same kind of little bit of a, you know, a COVID, you know, you know, a COVID drop there. But this is only through 2020, so it doesn't take you to COVID recovery. But it just shows you that fast food was being deselected by American consumers, even as the population of America and was rising, looking, staying specifically in the U.S. market. And it shows you that McDonald's has always been 4X or 5X bigger than Burger King. Burger King just needs to get itself straight. And by the way, right about here, over here, you also had Burger King actually falling behind Wendy's in the US. So that's really saying something because a lot of people thought of Wendy's as third place behind um, Burger King and McDonald's. And then thinking of In-N-Out Burgers and Five Guys as being the better burger, but only in regions and not really trying to, you know, crank it out the way Burger King and McDonald's do. And as a matter of fact, you go to California and you go to a, a um, In-N-Out from 11 a.m. almost till 11 p.m., the most populous areas will have lines around the In-N-Out constantly to the point they're running two lanes and they have people out there even with raincoats and there's this little um, kind of a laptop iPad taking orders, going out there, greeting you and everything, doing everything they can to crank it through. And it shows you, and then you go to Texas and stuff and five guys always align. So you have these, what the much better burgers that you get at five guys and in and out versus the pure fast food angle here. But you see the way these guys have been fighting and you see where Burger King has been. <clears throat> the answer is if they want to stay in front of Wendy's and they really want to grow or just grow, forget who you're trying to get in front of, just see if you want to grow. They just got to get the product right. And I don't, I don't think it's about the logo. So what are the lessons for you and me in all this? What can we learn from Burger Wars and other things associated? Well, the first thing is you've heard me talking about it today. Change the logo. You know, people say, oh, we need a new vision. The logo would talk about marketing and a new vision. Maybe, but 
you, when you got franchises out there, that logo that they had, it wasn't woke. It wasn't like, remember, there were some things during the peak of wokeness, some um, um, brands that they took away mascots and images that were on the brands because they said they were racist or they were, you know, kind of reflecting back of a different time. Nobody came to their Burger King and saying, hey, that circle with the blue on it, that's, that's woke. No, there's nothing to do with that. It's just they just decided to go back to the old, old logo. And so, and there's typically, that's much less productive than focusing on sales and ops and, and getting the product right. So do not be tempted in your marketing for you and me. You hire a marketing person, oh, let's mess with your logo and make a cooler website. Well, if a cooler website means let's make web commerce or e-commerce work properly, do it. If it means you're gonna have a better selection process so people can contact you quicker with a form, hey, about us, check in for information, and you're gonna link that into a texting thing so one of your salesperson gets a text and respond in an hour, do it. Do all those things to your website. But monkey in with the, with the um, oh, make it mobile adaptive so it works just as well on mobile phones as it does on a full-size browser, do it. But change the logo and everything because the new marketing person just says that's what you think what you need, Focus on sales and operations. Make it all work better. Make it work better to do what? Boom, sell product. Make sure product market fit. And common sense about focusing on PMF always gets lost in the shuffle where marketing says, hey, it's a marketing problem. No, it may also be what's known as PMF, product market fit. As America has gone, been more conscious about sugar, America's been more conscious about sodium and about fat, what can you do with your products maybe to have less of that? And it's more than putting the uh, calories up on the menu. So you look up on that and you see that a Whopper with French fries and a medium Coke is 1,100 freaking calories. It's more than that. It's focusing. But you're not going to turn it into a, a salad place. But is there things you can do? Is there things you can go part way to get there? Maybe, and so product market fit isn't just about today's consumers, it's about today's changing consumers. And that gets lost in the shuffle when you think all you need is a, another ad campaign, bring back, have it your way, and change the logo. Get the product right too. And then put the good marketing on top of a great product, builds traction. And lastly, when you get back to that marketing, be quantitative. Systems, processes, people, dollars spent, better be a lot less than sales gained. Simple thing. Do we, how much did we spend on total marketing? How much did we raise the, uh, the sales by? Or how much sales are we getting consistently with this marketing? You better be that your incremental sales, whatever you grew from this month to next month, better be less than the marketing you spent. Otherwise you're losing money. You're spending profits, it could be in your pocket on that. It's a wider discussion. But for you and me, whether you're running a t-shirt company in Berlin, or you're running a technology company in California, all of it stands up. PMF, quantitative marketing, and then as long as your brand is well presented, your logo is probably fine. And don't be tempted to go down this route and just believe that if it was just somehow different, that's gonna change it. Nope, product and quantitative marketing is the path to glory, starting with PMF. That's the lessons for you and me. So now you knew a little bit about that, and you're talking a little bit about Burger King and what's going on with all those franchises. The answer is they haven't 
run the perfect business and they've been losing franchises that went bankrupt. And they're also buying some back and they're trying to rescue them for a billion dollars and sell them to the other franchises. If the marketing is also met with better product and everything they're putting on, then guess what? Those thousand that they bought that they're gonna spend a, for a billion, that they're gonna spend a half a billion um, redecorating, recustomizing, or reinvesting, whatever they're doing, changing the sign to the new logo, all of that, if that yields fruit, then guess what? Then those thousand uh, franchises will be eagerly purchased by current franchisees, smaller franchisees are gonna say, hey, we're in the middle of a bounce back. Thank you very much. I've invested in you. I'm running 50 of them. I'll take 20 more of those that you just fixed. That's the way it goes when you run a franchise business. So I hope that was helpful. I hope it unlocked your brain. I'm going to get my vault and go back to the studio and wrap up. All right, all right, all right. I hope you liked that little journey through kind of understanding what was going on at Burger King. I'm here to give case studies that unlock your brain, and I hope Go to Amazon and get a vault drink. Black cherry, watermelon, cucumber, mint. Unlock your brain. No caffeine, no sugar. It's the right kind of pop for your brain to unlock your brain. And I hope I unlocked it with this case study on Burger King and gave you some insights. And if you like that, check out this old case study right here that I did a couple weeks ago on McDonald's. Be an interesting way to compare the two, just like that last slide in the case study just did. Until next time, I'm Tom Ellsworth, The Biz Doc, and I hope I left you better than I found you.